Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met before, my name's Ken, and I'm uh, one of the ministers here at uh, church. And I don't know about you, but um, uh, I wonder if you're aware that there is an epidemic sweeping our nation that I think is worse than COVID-19, actually. It's relentless. It is unstoppable. And uh, sadly, the victims are mainly children. I am, of course, talking about the phenomenon known as dad jokes. And uh, as a a, a dad, I feel duty-bound to give you a few examples this morning. Uh, Like, uh, have you heard about the magician? Yes, this this is why it never goes well. (laughs) Have you heard about the Mexican magician who tells his audience that he is going to disappear on the count of three? And so he says, uno, dos, and then poof. He disappears without a tress. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, although <laughs> it, gets, it gets better. Like, I think, I, think, um, I think the stairs in my house are really suspicious. I think they're, they look like they're up to something. I know, I know. It's the way, it's the way I tell. Listen, folks, you've got to be really careful about atoms. Never trust atoms, all right? Because they make up everything. Yeah, all right, all right. I shouldn't be surprised that these jokes never go down well. Well, I, sh- I, really, I really shouldn't be, because they never go down well at home. And also, I recently entered 10 puns in a contest to see which one would win. And no pun in 10 did. Okay, okay. I know, I'm, don't, don't worry. I'm, it's almost too much to bear, is it? So don't run away, don't run away, like my family do when I come at them with this sort of material. Uh, because if you're a Christian here this morning, there is, of course, a far, far greater danger than dad jokes. Uh, we're in a battle, folks, against sin and the world and the devil. Uh, Satan wants to deceive us with his lies, uh, which appeal to our sinful, disordered desires. And the world then seeks to normalize sin. So the Christian message and lifestyle looks totally weird and, and actually as sad and as unpalatable as a dad joke. I don't think I need to tell any of you that it's not easy being a Christian. Often it, it really feels like a battle, doesn't it? I mean, we love Jesus and we want to grow in our faith and And we want to feel victorious in his strength. And yet, if we're honest, we'll admit that there are points in the journey when it feels like that we're not winning. We're not growing. And and we don't really love Jesus that much at points. So how do you keep going in your Christian life? Uh, Folks, that's, that's one of the reasons this letter of 2 Peter was written for us to help long-suffering and and often actually sadly misguided Christians to keep going without stumbling and without falling. And the only way to do that is to keep in view the eternal promises of God. As these two short verses that Catherine read for us a moment Uh, ago that we're looking at this morning. In them, Peter says that we need to look at our past and our present and our future. Let's go back first to the Christian's past. Uh, Peter refers to it very briefly in verse 10. Can we see it? 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Don't know about you, but I, I love to hear people's stories about how they became Christians. So actually, I'm looking around. One or two of you have been in home groups that I've led, and, and I used to, used to love occasionally starting a home group meeting by just putting somebody on the spot and saying, come on, kick us off. Tell us how you came to faith. But I've never heard anyone start their testimony off by saying, well, I guess it began right back at the foundation of the world. Yeah, according to the Bible, that's exactly when it started. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. So the focus is on Jesus. This is only possible because of him. But if you're a Christian here this morning, you need to see that God had you in mind before you were born. Indeed, before he made the world, you are that important to him. So I am told in the prophet Isaiah that before the beginning of the world, God carved my name in his hand. Isaiah 49, verse 16. And he then created a world full of the things that I love, family, food, friends, fun, other things that don't begin with F2, like beauty and order and work and rest and music, laughter. I could go on and on, couldn't I? God has given me so many good things. Not least of which is that he sent his son to die a horrific death so that I could be forgiven. But then 2,000 years later, he, he knit me together in, his mother's, in, in my mother's womb. And then while I was at school ignoring him and living with myself as God, he opened my blind eyes to who Jesus is. And he has sustained me ever since that day by his Holy Spirit and given me worthwhile things to do. And one day, when I die and I'm raised... I will stand before him and he will say to me, Ken Matthews, how very good to see you. You have been on my mind for a very long time. No wonder Article 17 of the church's 39 Articles of Religion speaks of the doctrine of election, of God's choosing as a sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort. But I guess it could also puff us up, make us feel that we're pretty amazing. God chose me. He chose me. But the Bible says that we have done nothing to deserve this. God calls us to himself when our hearts were set against him, while we were still his enemies. And he does it to show, Ephesians 2 verse 8, this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is all by grace. Please hear this. Please understand. The Bible insists on this. Ephesians 2 again. That we were dead in our transgression and sin. Uh, so just as I can't get a cow to do the triple jump standing on its hind legs. I mean, go on. Stand in a field one day and, and try and do that. I dare you. But we can't. Can we? And in the same way, our sinful nature... Our sinful human nature means not one of us can turn to Christ of our own free will. We are dead 
spiritually dead. So we can't turn to Christ unless God calls us. So if you're a Christian here this morning, then it's because God carved your name in his hand before the creation of the world. I don't know what that truth does for you. You may be living in a, in a world, in a situation that is rejecting you at the moment. And yet God chooses you. You've been chosen. It is an unspeakable comfort, is it not, to know that? God wants you. He loves you that much. Yet it is a doctrine that raises some questions for it. Granted, it raises some questions for us. Uh, like, isn't it unfair that God calls some and doesn't call others? Well, no. If God had left me in my willful rebellion and called me to account at the judgment, then I wouldn't have had a st- leg to stand on. I could not have pleaded ignorance because at the very least he has given me a conscience. But the fact that he turns any of us around and back to himself is utterly unexpected and completely undeserved. It cannot be claimed as a right that God would do this for anyone, sinners that we are. No, it is all by grace. Yes, but, but doesn't it deprive us of our free will? I mean, Ken, if you stress God's call, then surely that gives the impression that I'm just some machine and I, didn't have a, I don't have a say in the matter at all. And yet the Bible doesn't teach that. Time and time again, it appeals to our wills. So Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So no one can say, I can't come because I haven't been chosen. No, Jesus says, come. Come to me, I invite you. You see, the Bible teaches very clearly that God sovereignly chooses to open our blind eyes, the blind eyes of those who believe. And yet, on the other hand, it teaches equally clearly that as human beings, we are responsible for what we do with what we know about Jesus. You see, the Bible doesn't just hop along on, on one foot. It's all about God's choice. So, or the other foot. Actually, it's all about my decision. That's what people think. The Bible hops along on, on one or, or other foot. No, it walks on two. I'm so glad to have stopped doing that. That was actually a little bit <laughs> painful and embarrassing. Uh, but, but it walks on God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And we desperately need both of those truths in order to be balanced as Christians. I mean, uh, imagine if our response to Christ and, and our discipleship in him was ultimately just, just down to our choice. We're just hopping on that leg. Our act of the will. On that view, how, how confident can you be that you'll be able to muster enough, up enough strength to keep going? If it's ultimately down to us not to fall away under pressure or competing loyalties, how confident can we be that we'll continue to grow in Christ and bear fruit in his name? 
Not very. Or again, think, think about evangelism. If it's all down to human responsibility, we're hopping on that foot again. It's our job then, isn't it, to persuade people? It's our job to make them respond. The results will be down to how well or badly we have witnessed. People's eternal destinies would be entirely in our hand. And that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Or is that just me? But, but the flip side is actually equally true. If we, if we start hopping on this foot in terms of our evangelism, if we just believe in election, that God will call who he calls, and it doesn't matter what we do, then I'll become apathetic, won't I? I just won't bother sharing the gospel because it's all down to God and nothing to do with me. I'll be like a, a fisherman who, who throws his net out at sea and then turns the boat round and goes back to shore again without ever bothering to haul it up. But the reality is that God calls us to be fishers of men and women. He uses us to bring those he calls into his kingdom. What a privilege that is. And, and actually, again, what a comfort, what, what, what encouragement. Because it means that I can, I can step out in faith and have, have great confidence to share my faith. Because I know that God is calling people to himself. It's my job just to find them. Even when some people might be unresponsive, or others even antagonistic. There are people out there who God is calling. Let's go find them. What a sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort it is to know that God is at work in this way. Not least as we move from looking at the Christian's past to, secondly, the Christian's present. Can we see that there in verse 10? Therefore, Brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. We're not to say, well, it's okay. I'm in, so it doesn't matter how I live. Because I belong to God. You know, he's taken me to heaven. It's good. I can just chillax. No, Peter says, this is what you need to do now. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And as he says that, he's rather like another Peter, I think. Sorry, he's rather different to another Peter, I think. Peter Pan. Do you remember Peter Pan? The boy who stayed in Never Never Land and refused to grow up. Which makes me think of another dad joke, by the way. Brace yourself. Why is Peter Pan always flying? Thank you, Anna, because he can never land. And do you know what? I love that joke because it never grows old. Ah, see, see, double, double punchline. Okay, fine. Forget, forget that. Forget that because sadly, even sadder than my dad jokes, sadly, there is a desperate Peter Pan syndrome, I think, in today's society. So, so the toys and the tantrums, they might get more sophisticated, I think, as we, as we grow up and the years go by. But we live in a culture that doesn't actually really want to grow up, doesn't want to be challenged, to be changed. We want ease and comfort. 
Not the pain of transformation. And even as Christians, I think we're affected by that. As a friend of mine likes to say, too many Christians want to nestle, not wrestle. We're Peter Pan Christians. And so we struggle to take seriously the command of verse 5 here. To make every effort to add to our faith virtue and virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control steadfastness and steadfastness godliness and godliness to add to that brotherly affection and to brotherly affection love. For, For if we did that, if we really took it seriously, what would happen? Verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective for unfruitful. And verse 10, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Peter is saying here, don't waste your life, folks. Don't end up ineffective and unproductive in your Christian walk. No, instead, make every effort. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. You see, I can't be more chosen than I am, but I can be more sure that I've been chosen. Do you get that? I can't be more certain, more sh- I, can't, I can't be more chosen than I am, but I can be more sure that I've been chosen. How? Bear with me here. Stay with me here, folks. This is where it gets a bit technical. Let's have a quick think about that word, sure. Do you see it in verse 10? It actually comes up again in verse 19. We have something more sure, the prophetic word. Exactly the same thing, sure. Exactly the same word. Now, how can we have the prophetic word, the Old Testament word of the prophets, more certain? I mean, it's a word from God. It can't be more certain, can it, Peter? And yet he says, because we've seen the words of the prophets fulfilled, fulfilled in the life of Jesus, it's more certain. It's been confirmed to us. And it's the same sense of the word here in verse 10. Yes, if we've been called by God, it couldn't be more certain. But we strive to strive to, to have that confirmed in our lives. By living the kind of life that in the Lord's strength makes it clear to ourselves and to others that we really do belong to him. It's like when my brother and sister-in-law had their first child. He sent me a text. It's a boy. Born. 3 p.m., 3.13 p.m., weighing seven pounds, two ounces. We've called him Finley. So there it was in black and white on my phone. It was a very clear statement. But then a couple of weeks later when they dropped in on a family holiday and they laid that little bundle of joy into my arms, it suddenly seemed so much more real. It was like holding that baby confirmed what I already knew, but it made me even more sure that I was now an uncle. And that's what Peter wants for us as Christians, I think. For us to be more sure in our faith by experiencing it fully, by by living it out fully. Not holding back, but diving in. Giving ourselves over to what the Lord wants for us. Wants to do in us. I wonder where you're holding back this morning, folks. In your Christian walk. 
Were you a Peter Pan Christian refusing to grow in Christ? Where might there be dry rot in your life, if I could put it like that? And you're not bothering to root it out. Well, my father had a filthy temper, so I can't help it losing my temper. It's just the way it's run in my family. It's the way I was brought up. Or if you understood my background, then, then you'll know the, the insecurities that I've lived through. So you, so you know why I just, I just can't give money away. We all have things that we're very quick to excuse, don't we? Maybe it's sexual immorality or lying or bitterness and hatred, an unforgiving heart. Or maybe it's something that we're not even aware of yet. So let me take time to once again make an impassioned plea for the daily quiet time. Let me tell you what that is. Time spent, well, it's time spent reading God's word and praying each day. But I think what that is, is, is it's time when I allow God to make me aware of the dry rot in my life. So all of the areas of sin and weakness in my life. Do you know, for a long time, I thought it was just strong Christians that had quiet times. But now I've realized the reason that you have a quiet time is because you're weak. That's why you do it. It's only the strong who are foolish enough to think <laughs> that they don't need to bother spending time with the Lord each day. And it's there that I access verse 3. Can you see the Lord's divine power so that I can have everything I need for life and godliness? It says I open up my Bible and I pray each morning that I plug into that power. It's like the electrical resources of the national grid. All of the lighting in this building is being accessed by that. But in order for us to, to have it on, we had to, had to flick the switch, didn't we? That's what had to happen. Remember an old friend of mine, an old mentor of mine, when I was doing student work, he, he used to encourage me when I was meeting up with students who were really struggling in their faith and their life. To always ask them, well, are you reading your Bible and praying each day? And pretty much every time the answer was, no, no, I'm not. They just were, weren't taking the time to flick on the switch. Yet in my quiet time, I ask for the resources to be godly each day. I, I, go, I, I go around asking the Lord to help me identify the dry rot. And then I go through my diary. I go through the day and I say, this is where it's going to be a battle. Oh, Lord, Lord Jesus, please give me the resources to be godly at this time, to be gracious to this person, to have love like yours here. And I plug into God's power for the day. And this leads us finally from the Christian's past to the Christian's present to the Christian's future. For as we go, uh, one of the joys of spending time in God's word is that actually it reminds us that one day these exhausting battles to be godly will be over. Verse 11, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you 
and entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have to say that when I was a kid, I remember reading in the Bible about heaven. In, in Revelation 21, uh, reading, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And I, I thought to myself, is that it? <laughs> I want streets paved with gold. <laughs> I want football on telly 24-7. I, I want, I mean, little did I know how the world would change. But, but, <laughs> but I, want, I, want, I want iron brew on tap. But the older that I've got, the more life I've experienced, the more I've encountered pain and mourning and crying and death in this world, the more precious that promise has become. So one day, gloriously, there will be no more disease, no more hospitals, no more physical disabilities, no more blindness, no more deafness, no more arthritis, no more wars, no more bombs, no more tyranny, no more refugee camps, no more ethnic cleansing, no more racism or sexism or bigotry of any kind, no more rapes, no more robberies, no more funerals, no more divorces, no more loneliness to face, no more broken homes, no more broken hearts, no more broken dreams, no more broken lives, no more suffering of any kind one day. And there will be no more pride or greed or lust or anger or selfishness either because the curse of sin will be lifted and that liar Satan will be defeated fully and finally and the world will be made brand new by Christ. And Peter wants us to look forward to that day. He wants our hearts to long for it. Uh, not just in relief that the battle is over, but rejoicing in the welcome we will receive. I feel many of us are tempted to think that we will just sneak in to heaven by the back door and that no one will even see us arrive. But that is not the picture of heaven that the Bible gives. Friends, when you arrive in heaven, there will be parties, there will be trumpets, there will be celebrations. People will stop what they are doing and they will go, great, you're here, brilliant. Not least of whom will be Jesus. Because the welcome will be, verse 11, richly provided for you because it has been lavishly laid on by him. It's his kingdom. He paid for it. And if you keep going by keeping on pursuing growth as his disciple, he will greet you with these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Come and share in your master's happiness. What an amazing promise. I'm pondering these things, that we're chosen, that we're called to grow in godliness now, and that we have a wonderful future with Christ stored up for us to come. Well, that should make us weep and sing with joy and keep us going until that great day. Let's think that through now as we...
pray. Let me give you a moment of quiet to pray that through as I, and then I'll lead us in a, in a prayer before we sing. Oh, Father God, thank you so much that you sent Jesus so that we could be chosen, adopted, redeemed, brought into your family and sealed by your spirit for heaven. Father, help us to lean into these incredible truths that we've looked at uh, this morning and to, to understand them more fully and to grow in grace as we seek to live them out day by day in your strength. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.